Welcome back to another episode of the Professor Penn Podcast. David Penn here welcoming you. We started out with a fantastic performance of the Bach Toccata and Fugue in D minor, repurposed as a trumpet ensemble. It was originally written by Bach for the organ. It's a very famous piece. If you haven't heard it before, it needs to be in your lexicon of great human accomplishments. And uh, I'm trying to find music that I can put on the podcast that I'm not going to have any copyright problems with. And I think that that is a perfect example of the kind of music that we can put as uh, additional content on the channel without violating anybody's intellectual property. These are young people. Look at the age of those people. Go back and look at this again. Having been through this myself, before I went off on a long career in a completely different direction, I was just like these young people. These people are, vir I don't want to say they're virtuosos, but that's virtuosity. It was not a perfect performance. I, I can hear, as a classically trained musician, I can hear, you know, errors and problems. But overall, that's fantastic. Those kids, they're kids. I mean, these people are 20 years old. Think of the hours and hours and hours and hours of practice that they've put into collectively to develop the skills to stand up in front of an audience of people, and that was actually a competition, and have the centering and the emotional clarity to pull that off. That is not an easy thing to do, particularly when you're talking about a wind instrument, a brass instrument, where when you get nervous, your breath control can get funky and you can't play. These, these, these young people are sensational. And, you know, this is an, an example of what every young person could become and could do. Why is it that we have this group of kids that have had this kind of investment made by their parents and their educators such that they can stand in front of the world and play professional music at a professional level, music at a professional level, that they learn how to do in a secret society? And we have other kids that are completely neglected, can't read, can't write. Why do we have this disparity? Why do we have this disparity? I'm asking myself why we have it. We have it for many, many, many reasons. I mean, it's not like one reason. But when we have these kids, you know, these kids are not special. They just got the kind of love and support and input from their families and from their educators that allowed them to develop this kind of skill. And this is going to be with them their entire lives. That kind of discipline transfers to anything. It transfers to their studies. It transfers to their well-being. It transfers to their job, their family rearing, their spousal relations. This is discipline. This is what we need to reinvest into every child, every single child. Tanner, your daughter. Yeah. She's how old? She's about three and a half. Okay. She's going to be as old as those kids in 17 years. They're about 20 years old. I'm opening the door for you. What are you going to do 
to ensure that your daughter, who you love, when she's 20, can stand up on a stage and hang like that? I guess for me, like, I, I read a bunch of parenting books, and they just beat into you as a parent that structure is key. And I, I truly believe that even if it's the simplest structure, showing them that kind of formation allows them in their adult life to structure themselves so then they're able to accomplish things Did you like get that. that kind of structure growing up? Yeah, my parents did pretty good. I mean, oh. it was a little less, but it, they did really good for, I was very blessed for the household I had. Well, there you have it. So it's about the parents. So for those of us who are parents, want to be parents, were parents, um, I'll tell you my story. <laughs> my mother and father, when I was about, I don't know, six, seven years old, they said, hey, now you have to understand, at this time, all I wanted to do was be a professional baseball player. I was playing, I mean, I was six, seven years old, eight years old. We'd go to the baseball field all, all summer long from uh, dusk, from dawn till dusk. All we did was play baseball. Catch, pitch, you know, hit, whatever. And, uh, you know, that was in the summer. Then we played football. Then we played hockey. My mom says to me, she goes, uh, we want you to learn how to play the violin. I go, what? You got to be kidding me. And they said, no, we want you to learn discipline. You need to practice an hour a day. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Well, they made me do it. And they got me a, a violin teacher, a guy named Walter Targ, one of my four fathers. I had four fathers, four mentors. And uh, he taught me from the time I was about eight, seven or eight years old until I was in my early 20s. And he was a professional violinist. He uh, worked uh, at the Minnesota Orchestra that in those days it was called Minneapolis Symphony Orchestra. And he also played uh, in a kind of a lounge act called the Golden Strings where he was uh, doc the doctor of schmaltz. This guy was a phenomenal violin player. And he had a very motivating kind of way to teach. And I started when I was, you know, seven or eight years old. And by the time I was 10 or 11, I was good. And I wasn't good because I wanted to be. I was good because I, I was being for I was forced to practice or I couldn't go outside. And I had this great teacher who really knew how to bring out the best in me. He was a mentor. And by the time I was in junior high school, I mean I could really play the violin at a very high level, high level. And I played all the way until I was in my late forties. I mean really could play well until my late forties. And it's something that gave me a great sense of satisfaction. I know classical music. I'm trying to share it with you because it's such a beautiful secret society and people are losing their attachment to this this great human tradition. You know, we're really great at watching people kill each other. We love all kinds of uh, very stimulating music. You know, and I like rock and roll and blues and I like, I like all kinds of music except for German marching band music, polka music. I don't like that for obvious reasons. But the, uh, the importance and why I'm sharing this with, with my audience, with my community, and some of you are getting to be my friends because we're talking in the live chat, uh, I, I just think it's critical that we hang on to the great music of the past. Everyone needs to know Bach. Bach is a genius that gave us a timeless artistry that all of us can be benefited by. And even when that's repurposed out of the organ in the trumpet, it's fantastic. 
So I really want to just tell you how much it's a thrill for me to share that with you. And I want to greet you back. I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank our sponsors, Free People Radio, TireGet.com, T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com, 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock, everything you need for your vehicles. And when you buy tires at TireGet, you're supporting this movement. And I've come out from behind the curtain. I own TireGet. And for those of you that, because it's going to come out, because this channel's going to grow, and we're going to have lots of uh, people following, and it's a community, and it's a political action community, and someone's going to say, you know, you're doing this to get rich. And I'm going to say, boy, I hope so. I'm not a communist. But what I'm really trying to do is not go bankrupt. So I do own it. Uh, I'm in the tire business. I've been in the tire business for a very long time. I've been, you know, I've done a lot of different things. And I'm going to be talking about them as we get to know each other I mean, better. I've, I've just done a lot of things in my life that have prepared me for this moment in human history. And one of them is I've been involved in industry. I've traveled all over the world for this business, and it's given me deep insight into capital markets and economy. And it allows me to, 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 to have an opinion about economic issues as a participant, not as a commentator. You know, these people that make comment and they're talking heads and they don't have any skin in the game, hey, you know what? That's great. You can read it in a book and comment on it. That, that's great. It's not the same thing as being in the trench. You know, you talk to a, if you talk to someone that's been in the trench, it's different than talking to an analyst. I'm in the trench every day, and I love sharing it with you, and thank you for listening. Here's another place I'm in the trench. I'm an officer of the Minnesota Republican Party, the new party, because I'm making it new. And I know I have people that are listening to me that don't like the Republican Party. In fact, most of the Republicans that are in the Republican Party don't like the Republican Party because, of course, I'm on the American citizen side of that football because we've got the traditionalists. You know, they call them. they got all kinds of nasty names for them. Let's just say it's the traditional party, the old GOP, the big old elephant. I'm with the new party, and uh, I'm actually doing it. I'm actually in the trench in the game of politics, trying to pull Minnesota back from the communist state that it's becoming. We're going to talk about that today. And that's why I say precinctstrategy.com. Join me. Join me. Get involved in your party. If you want to have the most direct impact in helping this country get out of this jam, you're self-governing. Go govern. This is, this is the big scam. You know, governance is in Washington. That's part of the brainwashing. Governance is in your neighborhood. I am self-governing. I self-govern politically. I self-govern economically. And I self-govern with my well-being. I'm a self-governing person. That's the way this country was set up, for people to self-govern. Now, I say this frequently. If I am not for myself, who will be? But if I am only for myself, what am I? So over the course of my lifetime, I've been making this transition from narcissism to altruism. And if we could get the whole country into this kind of transition where we actually think about each other, where we follow those precepts to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, all of our heart, all of our strength, love God, and then treat our neighbor as we wish our neighbor to treat us, if we would just follow those two rules, all the law would rest on that, and our problems would start to melt away. 
because we'd know how to act. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Let me just comment. I'm so busy doing these um, podcasts and the con- you know the content. You know, I'm doing a lot of uh, please call me crazy right now because Royce White is traveling. So I'm doing about seven or eight hours of content a week, plus doing television appearances, plus, 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 plus running my business, plus being involved in the Republican Party. One of the things I like to do every day is get up and pray. Well, here we are. I'm recording this. It's before 8 o'clock in the morning. I don't have time to pray at home. So this prayer, when I pray it, I'm not just reading it. I'm actually praying it. So I'm going to ask you to join me. And one day, this prayer will be posted up on Free People of America. And I think if we all start to take America seriously and pray for her together, using the same words, these are ancient prayers, we're going to get some supernatural and divine help in our effort to protect our freedom and our faith and our families. In other words, I'm not kidding. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our America and our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. I mean it. I mean it, and thank you for joining me. I'm going to get right into it. we got a lot of things to go over today. Uh, Tanner, can you put up this uh, piece on the uh, yellow freight debacle and stop it at about 143? Uh, stop at about 143, please. Thank you. So things so got things caught got in disorderly at a warehouse, warehouse in, Florida in Florida due to due truckers finding out that their pension and their health care will not will be not funded by yellow, yellow corporation, corporation any longer due, due to them to having them financial, financial difficulties. difficulties. Now, this now said that, that yellow, yellow, the third largest freight company, company in the country, in the country owes about $1.6 billion, billion debt, and about and $700 million, million of that belongs to the federal government. So they, so they seem to cannot, cannot find, find a way to, a way pay, to their pay their bills. bills. And, so, and so at this particular, at this particular meeting, meeting, a worker, a worker let them know, let them know, how, know he how he felt. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. 
So as you saw that brother, letting them know, hey, I've been here for 30 years, and what you mean? I'm not going to have a pension. You know, and that's very disheartening, right? Go to work and put money away so they can retire. You know, you pay into a health care plan and go to work and they say, by the way, we're not going to have any of that. So the fact that the truckers and the union are talking about striking to force the company. Thank you. Well, Yellow has subsequently, after this piece went up, filed for bankruptcy on Monday, and they're going to be liquidated. It's 30,000 American citizens, our fellow citizens, are losing their jobs, their livelihoods. That affects your well-being. And there's 22,000 union truck drivers, Teamsters. They're out of a job. You know, companies fail. Uh, we can't save every company. We can't. You know, my companies are under stress. Every company except for healthcare, drugs, and the military, and some tech companies, and whoever the government's supporting, but all the general economy companies, the people that have to sink or swim on their own, we're all under tremendous pressure. And the reason we're under pressure is, number one, Remember COVID and they gave everybody all that money? Everybody got money. Oh, the money came running, you know, raining in. Helicopter money. I got it. You got it. We all. Tanner, did you get money from the government during COVID? Uh, I was still claimed by my parents that year, but it came on my tax return. Well, there you go. Yeah. They gave you money. Yeah. What'd you do with it? You spent it, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody ran down to the big box stores and cleaned them out. So all the big box stores, I don't have to name their names. I, you know you know who they are. I know who they are. They dominate the supply chain. They put all the small, not all, but almost all the small businesses broke by these people. It's the American way, right? Or at least the American way we used to have. Not under the new party. Because we believe small business is the backbone of the economy. Remember that one? They used to say that. They don't say it so much anymore because there's not that much small business left. They're killing us. How are they doing it? That helicopter money rained in, and the supply chains are dominated by imports from Asia. That's just what it is. I mean, you go down to these big box stores, you take a look at the package. It doesn't say it, there is some stuff that's made in Ohio, made in the USA, but most of it is not made in the good old United States. What we make here is military stuff, medical stuff, high-tech stuff, but if you're going to go buy a G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip, that came from China. That's just where they make it. So everybody ran on down to the big box stores and spent all that helicopter money, cleaned them out, and guess what? They had to reload, and they bought like crazy, and there was a shortage of spaces on the boats, the container ships that bring the product over, and the price of a space went from, eh, 3000 bucks on average nationally to over 20000 in the course of about six or seven months. And all that helicopter money kept raining in, and we were all making money like crazy because the price went way up, which means everybody's profits went up because if your margin is 10% on a $10 item and you make a buck and that item suddenly costs $20 and you're still making 10 points, now you're making 2 bucks. Wow, everybody felt like a genius. Guess what? 
all the demand that we would have right now got pulled forward because everybody had free money. Everybody's inventories ballooned. There was tremendous inflation, of course, which was the point of the entire exercise. You remember Professor Penn likes to say, PhD in economics, they get that PhD studying how things went wrong. They go into government to screw it up on purpose. And that's exactly what they did. They screwed it up on purpose. All that demand was advanced. Now there's no demand. The inflation took off like a rocket because you got all this printed money competing for goods. Inflation's always about the money supply, something we should talk more about. And then guess what? The Fed started raising the interest rates because their mandate is to control inflation, and it was the fastest series of interest rate hikes in the history of America. And everybody was stuck with all this inventory that came in at a super high price, and the inflation killed all the demand. I bet you're not buying stuff right now, Tanner, because you don't have any extra money, right? You'd like a raise, wouldn't you? See, this is why inflation is sticky, because it's called it's it's a wage price spiral. Everything Tanner's buying is costing more. He's going to come to me, the boss, and say, "I need a price increase. I need a wage increase." We just keep in. We're in an inflationary spiral. But the hard goods business has collapsed because no one has any money. The consumers are broke because of the inflation. The restaurants are emptying out. You go to any of the big box stores, there's not the kind of traffic that there was a year ago or two years ago. So there's not as much freight because the goods aren't coming in. The goods are not coming in. That $20,000 berth to get it on a vessel is now down to 2000 So everybody's got overpriced inventory that they got to dump because the interest rates went crazy. I know if you're not involved in business, um, at the level I am, I'm speaking too quickly, and it's a lot of information, but the basic takeaway is if you're in business and you have inventory, it's overpriced and you can't afford to carry it because the interest rates are too high. So everybody's losing money. It's a bloodbath. And Yellow Freight is a casualty. 30,000 people. Well, I know when you open up CNN or you go to CNBC or you watch the legacy media, any of it. Oh, boy, the Bidenomics. They call it Bidenomics. Wow. You know, <laughs> that's like being Jack the Ripper. But we don't know it yet. But they're actually branding Biden's economy like it's some kind of great thing like Reaganomics. It's a disaster. They just want to get across the next election before the ass falls off the donkey. And the ass is falling off the donkey. And I'm going to read you some things that are going on that's not getting a lot of uh, play out there in the legacy media. Well, we talked about yellow, and we looked at yellow. Look at that poor man. I actually saw the clip before they edited it. He was F-bombing that bleep out of his union boss who had just told him his job's gone, his pension's gone, his health care's gone, you're on your own, thank you for your lifetime of service. And the guy flipped out. And I get it. I get it. You know, I have nights. I have nights where I worry about keeping myself in business, where I can't sleep. I got nobody to scream at. But, I, you know, we're all struggling in this country right now. We know something's off. We know it. And I think most of my audience and most of the free people audience is subject 
to this perturbation, to this challenge. I don't think I got a lot of people watching me that are running hospitals or owning drug companies because, hey, they're all good with the government program. And I'm about ending slavery, drugs, and piracy. They're not going to like me. It's not going to like me. I'm about self-governance. They don't want me to self-govern. They want me in that birth and death, a series of diagnostic codes and revenue streams for drugs until they plant me. That's what they want. Now, you know, you can tell I'm not a spring chicken. I'm not taking any pharmaceutical drugs. I'm not, I will if I have to, but I'm not because I've been working on my well-being my whole life. And what is well-being? Well-being is compressing your morbidity. Everyone gets sick before they die or would live forever. But what we have in this country is people get chronic disease conditions, and 60% of our fellow citizens have a chronic disease. Some of them get them when they're before, it's teenagers. And their whole life is filled with morbidity. And then they die. And that's miserable. What we want to do as American citizens, self-governing citizens that believe in human well-being, we want to compress that morbidity like till the day before we die. We don't feel good for a day and we die the next day. There was a movie many, many years ago. It was called Little Big Man. And I like talking about these movies because, um, well, they're just getting lost. Little Big Man, it was an Academy Award winning movie. It was about the Native American experience with, um, uh, well, the subjugation and the genocide of the Native Americans. It was one of the first movies that got into popular culture about this, told the story of the West from the perspective of the Native American. And it was starred Dustin Hoffman, who's still around, and he played an interesting character. And he, there was a, 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 an older Native American that uh, adopted him, was sharing his wisdom with him, and he said, my son, today is a very good day to die. <laughs> and he sat down to die, and he didn't die, and he was pissed about it. You know, that reminds me of my grandfather. Uh, he just quit eating. He just came to a point, he said, I had enough of this, I'm out. And he didn't eat, and he died. We'll see when we get there. He was in his 80s. He was in an advanced stage of his life, and he went on strike. All right. Mass layoffs. Mass layoffs. I'm going to pick on Anheuser-Busch because they got into this Bud Light thing, and I'm not going to comment on that. But I am going to comment that they just laid off 350 employees. There's a large number of corporate defaults. This year, in 2023, the number of large corporate defaults, that's when companies fail like yellow, it's already exceeded the entire year of 2022, and we're just halfway through the year. You know, that's incredible. I mean, that's incredible. These corporate defaults, every time a company goes down, people lose their jobs. People like you and me, we lose our jobs. And then what are we going to do? Because nobody's hiring. The cost of living continues to soar. I talked about this with Tanner yesterday. We were talking about his rotors. I just found this afterwards. Vehicle repair costs have risen by nearly 20% over the last 12 months. I mean, come on, 20%? 20%. Well, I'm in the tire business. I'm going to tell you, tires went up. Some of the tires went up over 50%. It's crazy. More than three-quarters of a million households in the state of California are behind on their rent or mortgage payments, and it appears that a tsunami of mass evictions is coming soon. 
More than 768,000 households are behind on rent, with debts totally more than $5 billion, putting approximately 721,000 children at risk of eviction. Wow. How are we going to deal with that? Here's another one. Everybody's talking about these electronic vehicles and how great they are for the economy and for the environment. Another, that's a con, right? I'm talking a lot about the environmental con. Ford Motor Company will lose $4.5 billion on electric vehicles this year, 2023, alone. I don't know how much money these people have, but hey, $4.5 billion, that's taking a chunk out of their ass. They do that a few more years, and Ford's going to be on the ropes. And they've been on the ropes before. The yield curve inversion, now we're going to get very technical. The yield curve is the relationship between short-term and long-term treasury bill interest. The yield curve is inverted. That means we're going into very rough economic times. I'm not going to get into explaining it at all. Maybe it'll take 15 minutes in an upcoming podcast. Maybe you know about it. But the yield curve inversion is the most intense that it's been in 40 years which means storm clouds. Storm clouds are on the horizon. Big storm, not rain, a thunderstorm, maybe a tornado warning. Just as in 2008, home foreclosures are starting to surge. They've shot up for the second year in a row. Data indicates that there's 186,000 foreclosures in the first six months of 2023 alone. It's a lot of people going out on the street. We're in the worst commercial real estate crisis in U.S. history. Why? Well, number one, everybody started to work from home with COVID, and the employers figured out it was cheaper. And the core cities have been abandoned by the Democrat Party to crime and violence. So now when employers ask, their employees to come back downtown to work. They say, ah, up yours, we're not doing it. So all of the real estate in all the major cities, the commercial real estate, it's crashing. This is a big problem. This is a chest wound. This is the thing that's going to kill the economy. Announced job cuts in the United States in the first half of this year was 244% higher than the announced number of job cuts in the first half of last year. Employers have announced 458,209 cuts so far this year. Wow. These things are building up on us. They're not telling us the truth. But there's nothing surprising about that. This audience knows. The Professor Penn Podcast audience knows. And the Please Call Me Crazy audience knows that we're living in a con, that the legacy media is selling us a lie. And you know what? We're buying it. Why do we know we're buying it? Where's the street protests? Do you remember in 2008, 2009, when we had the big financial crisis? There was the Wall Street. The, the people were out on Wall Street protesting. What they call that movement? There was a, a name for that movement. I, I, I was only nine years old when that happened. can't remember. There was a name for that movement. Someone's going to put it in the live chat. Where'd those people go? Anti-Wall Street, anti-big banks. I mean, come on. Nobody's protesting these people, and they're robbing. They're taking everything we, we have away from us, 
and we've talked about it many times, their end game is a central bank digital currency. In other words, they take everything I have and everything you have, take it all, and then give us back a digital currency that they can control remotely, and they're going to give us back about 10 cents on the dollar. So they're going to come out great, and we're going to get screwed. And, you know, my opinion is that's a big part of what politics is about right now. When this hole has to get plugged, whose money's going to fill it? Not mine. That's why I'm part of the new Republican Party. You know, these old Republicans, they want the regular people to pay for it, and they want to keep their cash, and they want their rich donors to keep the cash. Well, no, we're not going to do that. That's why those people hate me. It's not communism. It's called restitution. You stole it, and you're going to have to give it back. That's my opinion. And it's also called antitrust. Let's break up some of these people that are robbing us and oppressing us. Well, President Trump is on to this thing. President Trump is making a big appeal to workers and union workers in a way that has not happened from the Republican side of the equation since President Reagan. Tanner, can you play this piece under number three where Trump appeals to the United Auto Workers? Joe Biden is waging war on the U.S. auto industry with a, a series, series of, of crippling, crippling mandates, mandates designed, designed to force, force Americans, Americans into expensive, expensive electric cars. cars. That's, That's just what you, what you want. want. Even, Even as, as thousands of electric cars, electric cars are, are piling up, up on car lots, lots all unsold. unsold. This ridiculous Green New Deal crusade is causing car prices to skyrocket while setting the stage for the destruction of American auto production. These extreme left-wing policies are a disaster for families and consumers and are one of the main reasons the average cost of a new car is now over $50,000. Absolutely outrageous, and there's never been such a price before. These exorbitant prices are, despite the fact that Biden is spending billions and billions of taxpayer dollars subsidizing electric cars for rich people, while normal Americans can't afford to use one, nor do they even want to. Biden is killing American consumers, and he's also killing U.S. manufacturing. In an all-out attack on American-made pickup trucks, SUVs, and other automobiles, Biden doubled CAFE standards, a move that is projected to cost automakers $200 billion. By one estimate, Biden's electric vehicle mandate will slaughter 117,000 U.S. auto manufacturing jobs, with workers in Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio among the hardest hit. And I hope, I hope United, United Auto Workers is listening to this because I think I you think better, you better endorse, endorse Trump because I'm going to grow your business and, and they are destroying your business. Your business. They, are they are absolutely destroying your business. How people can vote for you just because it's an automatic Democrat vote. Look how they decimated the car industry over the years. Mexico has 32 percent of the business that we used to have. It's, it's ridiculous, ridiculous. But, but they didn't, they didn't do it while I was president. president. I, can I can tell you that. that. If, if Biden's, Biden's assault does not stop, American, American auto, auto production will be totally dead. dead. That's, That's why, why I'm, I'm going to terminate these Green New Deal, Deal atrocities on day one. one. In, my In my first term, term I, fought I fought for auto workers like never before, before canceling TPP, which was a disaster. Ending, ending the, the NAFTA, NAFTA nightmare. The NAFTA trade deal was the worst deal ever negotiated on trade. And renegotiating, and renegotiating Obama's, Obama's horrendous, horrendous Korea, Korea trade, trade deal. deal. 
made it a great deal from a horrible deal. I saved the American auto industry once, and now I will save it again. Every voter in Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina needs to know if you, if want, you to want to have an auto, auto industry, industry, you need, you need to, to defeat, defeat Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. He's a He's corrupt president, president and re-elect President, president Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. We, we will take, take care, care of you. Of you. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I try to stay out of this fray. Not because I'm not in it. I, after all, I am an officer of the Republican Party of Minnesota. We're the senior hierarchy of the party. I'm not going to call them rhinos. I'm going to call them traditionalists are telling me, Professor Penn, that I cannot criticize another Republican even by inference. Even by inference. And at the same time, the hierarchy of the party, some of them disciples of Karl Rove. If you don't know who Karl Rove is, please look him up because he was around in 2000 in Bush and he sucks. These people, the hierarchy of the Minnesota Republican Party, they've already picked their candidate. It's anybody but Trump. So for all the Minnesotans that are absolutely dedicated to Donald Trump as their president, their party is working around the clock trying to figure out how to make sure that Donald Trump loses. Wow. Hey, great. I can't criticize by inference, but you leaders... And you know who you are. I mean, my gosh, anybody can go look it up. It's on a website. I know for a fact you're working against Donald Trump. I know for a fact. Some of you, one of you who watches this podcast, even called me on the telephone because I'm prominent in Minnesota and tried to enlist me in your anti-Trump scheme. So I have evidence. I'm a witness. I could take an oath and be deposed and say, yes, you people are picking the outcome before we have the primaries. And you people are the leaders, the national leaders. What kind of scam is this? You're not letting the people decide who their champion's going to be. You're putting your thumb on the scale. I thought you were supposed to be neutral arbiters and letting the people sort it out through the primary process. Well, isn't that a scam? Another scam. We're going to change this. And you know how we change it? We get rid of you and put American citizens in the seats that you're occupying all the way up to the top of the RNC. Now, I'm not hiding. That's the game. That's the goal. That's the goal. There's a very wise person that I like very much. His name's Dan Schultz, PrecinctStrategy.com. Dan has said publicly many times, he cannot guarantee that this Republican... He cannot guarantee that this republic, this great country, the United States of America, can be saved if American citizens get back control of the Republican Party, the grand old party. But if we don't get control of it, he says, Dan Schultz, he's certain this country is doomed. Our freedoms are gone. And I agree with them, and that's why I've decided to get involved. They don't own the party. It's a numbers game. If you're watching me, please get involved in your party. And the same thing goes for the Democrat Party. They're equally corrupt. It's a uni party. They don't care about the well-being of the American citizens. They're globalists and they're materialists. That's what they're defined by. They're globalism 
and their materialism, they have no spiritual tie such that everything that they generate, every policy and every word that comes out of their mouth is intended to uplift the well-being of the American citizen, like my young friend Tanner, who probably has deep disdain for politics because they don't give a, sh a bleep about them. I almost let it out. I stopped myself, and I need to do that. You know, I got some major big-time gigs coming up in legacy media. I have to practice not letting the F-bomb out because, you know, it's going to get me in trouble. It's going to make my career short. I harbor the desire to bring this message to a very wide audience, and I'm asking you to help me by spreading this message out, crowdsourcing, taking the content, and sending it out. I need to build the audience because I'm doing this to create a political movement, not to get rich. I don't want to go bankrupt. I need your help. I need you to go to Target.com and buy your tires here, please. But, but we need your help. Tires is a small part of it. We need your help to build the movement. Send it out. Come into the party. Get it, and if you're a Democrat and you're watching, get in the Democrat Party. You know, I've made the statement, this is going to get me in trouble. I could go into the Democrat Party and do the same thing over there. The parties are just scams, both of them. Both parties are intended to suppress the thought, the free speech, and the freedom of movement of the American citizens. Both parties. They're both the thought police. The first rung of the control is the men in blue, that control the streets, the physical streets, the material streets. The second rung of defense are the parties where all these party participants in the hierarchy take people like me and try to pound me down. Well, I'm tough to pound down. I'm an ace now. I got seven retired rhinos on my fuselage. They left because of me. I'd like them all to leave. I'm going to just start asking them to leave. Well, let's just, you know, I got to just comment before we go on to the next rhino, which is Mitt Romney. I just got to comment a little bit on this union thing. Something I know a lot about because in the tire business, the tire factories in the United States are staffed by, most of them are staffed by United Steel Workers. And to any of you who are steel workers, I want you to know, your protestations about unrestrained importation of tires changed my life and my business career. When it started out, Professor Penn was a globalist. I've been in China over 100 times. And had I stayed on that path, I'd be very, very wealthy. Very wealthy. As many of my contemporaries are. In fact, President Biden just gave my contemporaries about $200 million dollars of a rebate of which I'm not getting a penny because I'm not importing that product. But all the people that are importing tires just got a huge windfall from the Biden administration because the Biden administration is a globalist organization that has our borders open, both the unrestricted immigration and unrestricted imports. That is what Democrats do. That's what Democrats do. Why do we know this? Because the Democrat were the enslavers. And free trade, 
The freest of free trade is I'm importing people. Okay, that's pretty free, isn't it? In other words, if I'm strong enough to make you my slave, that must mean you're supposed to be my slave. Think of how they think. These people are foul. But then, of course, because of the immigration waves that were rejected by the know-nothings and the Whigs and the Republicans rejecting immigrants, holding out immigrants, demonizing immigrants, the Democrats figured out that they could make those immigrants their captives by giving them what's called a chicken in every pot. And over time, they developed a deep relationship with organized labor. Come on, who's involved with that historically? Getting the picture here who these folks are? And they depend, they have traditionally depended on labor as the core of their financial and electoral support. But this group, hey, they're, they've transcended labor. They're telling labor, piss off. This environmental thing, because they got my kids. My kids love the earth so much they hate people. They're going to buy environmental whatevers. They're not thinking like my generation thought. They are cutting the labor movement loose. They're breaking the labor movement. They're breaking it. So this whole union group, this whole population of human union members that have traditionally voted Democrat for generations, hey, they got to wake up because they're going to be out of a job. Just like the 22,000 Teamsters that just lost their job at Yellow Freight. And what President Trump was saying is, hey, if these policies keep up, we're going to lose all of our auto companies. We're talking about millions and millions of jobs. Let's think about that. I'm not here to endorse or not endorse Trump. It's, not, it's his ideas that I'm interested in. His idea is, if we're going to have a country, we have to have borders. And if we're going to have a functioning country, we're going to have to have high-paying jobs so American citizens are gainfully employed and have a future, have hope, have well-being. Well, then we got the other side of the equation. The other side, like Mitt Romney, senator from Utah, rhino of rhinos, rhino of rhinos. And this guy is on the wrong side of every issue. As a matter of fact, he was the president of a company called Bain Capital that pioneered and profited from making him a billionaire. The offshoring of jobs that were in the United States and sending those jobs to China. I saw one myself up close and personal. There was a Unirail tire factory in Eau Claire, Wisconsin that employed thousands of people. They shut it down, took the equipment, shipped it to China, and a new tire factory was set up with equipment that was actually in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and all those union members lost their jobs. We did that in this country from the early 1990s to right now today. It's still going on. And we have to arrest this if we're going to keep a country. And I want a country. That's why I've become more and more nationalist in my business career. And I'm obviously very nationalist in my policy. And who's doing this? I'm not a friggin' commentator. I'm in the trench. I know what's happening. I know what's happening economically in the capital markets and in the lives of the people that are doing the job like myself. And then we got these people that 
get on the wrong side of every issue. Let's play this piece. This is a long piece. It's going to take about 10. Yeah, I'll cut it at a certain point. But you're going to see some interplay. You're going to watch. If you've never seen it before, you're going to see what happens in our Senate when people don't agree with each other. This is Mitt Romney and Rand Paul arguing with each other about censorship. Please play this. The reason, the reason is, is, in my, in my view, view, it's, it's, it's overly, overly broad um, in, in prohibiting any employee of the federal, federal government from, from cajoling or arguing with a member, member of the media about, about a story. Um, uh, employees, employees of the federal government have First Amendment rights, too. Uh, and if, uh, let's say, President Trump or President Biden disagree with something that was going to be written about them, this would make it a crime for them to call up the social, social media company and say, that's a lie, take, take it down, you're, you're, this, this is outrageous. outrageous. That's, that's not censorship. Censorship, censorship is when the government shuts shut something off. This, this is arguing to try and, try and convince someone, someone else to set it off. And that's, and that's the right people have, whether, whether they're in government or outside of government. Obviously, there are places where people go blind and threat. Okay, here's what Romney's saying. That some dweeb sitting in a tech company is going to get a call from somebody in the CIA. And the CIA is going to say, hey, take this down right now. And some little person is going to say, oh, yes, sir. And he's actually advocating for that where you've got the government, people with power, calling up just workers and telling them what to do. And he's saying that's okay. Please continue make threats and suggest you're going to lose your license if you don't do the following thing. That, if, if it's narrow enough to be defined in that kind of way, I'd be happy to take a look at it. But to say that no employee of the government, from the president on down to the millions of people who work in the government, can speak with a social media company or a legacy media company and express their point of view that an article is wrong or that an avenue they're going down is wrong, that would shut off free speech on the part of the the administration and power, or frankly, employees that have nothing to do with one party or the other. So, in my view, it's a piece of uh, it's an amendment that is overly broad and hasn't considered what's going to happen when there's a Republican administration that wants to argue that the media is saying crazy things about them. Uh, that makes it would make it a crime uh, to do so. Even the press secretary responding to a question, uh, saying, "No, that's wrong. You guys have got that wrong." Well, that would violate the law. I mean, this, um, it just hasn't, in my opinion, this amendment is far too broad uh, and, and, uh, and, and therefore should not be uh, accepted. Senator Paul. The First Amendment really isn't about protecting the speech of government workers. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law. It's about limitations on government involvement with speech. It doesn't say that where you're employed that there might not be regulations of what can be said. Every employee of a private company knows you can't run in the office and say your, your boss stinks. I mean, there are limitations on your speech based on your employment, and they have nothing to do with the First Amendment, because the First Amendment doesn't have really to do with employment. The First Amendment has to do with Congress shall pass no law. So if Twitter says bad things about me and puts up bad things and takes my down, I have no recourse against Twitter. Same with Facebook. I'm mad. I hate that YouTube has taken my speeches down. I don't do business with them anymore. Um, because I think they're bigoted, biased, and, uh, and, and wrong-headed on this. But as far as threats, what we do know from the Twitter files is that the government was making threats. We also know this from the uh, depositions in Missouri versus Biden. 
The threats were, if you don't do this, uh, there may be antitrust action against you. These were overt threats, and this is what's going to make this case so strong. When this gets to the Supreme Court, I think that uh, the free speech advocates are going to win. This is a lawsuit uh, began by Senator Eric Schmidt when he was the Attorney General. But I think the, the evidence is pretty strong that there were threats. There were threats of antitrust action against the companies if they didn't take the material down. There was also threats of, we will remove your 230 protection. Section 230 gives them liability protection, and they were overt threats and threats in writing, basically, saying, if you don't take this down, you know, your 230 protection of liability could go away. We may try to penetrate that liability protection. Finally, there were also information that went back and forth saying that this goes to the top levels of the White House. So the implication being to whoever the top person over at Twitter is, the president knows you're not listening. The president knows. But the thing is, is even if none of those overt threats were made, the, fa the fact of the FBI showing up at your office and describing that it would be a good idea uh, to take down information and just maybe they bring you a cup of coffee, Gatorade or something and tea and say, we just think it would be a good idea, you know. But they also, they come armed, they come with the threat of prosecution, even if they don't say it because they're from the government. I think the, the, uh, I think the government should be absolutely prohibited without question. I think it should be as draconian as you probably can make it and the exception would be illegal. The government is allowed to meet with the illegal, but things that are an opinion, the government has no business in this. And it's just where, where you are on the spectrum of wanting to defend the First Amendment. But there is no rule. That's I think it's important too. to know that. Okay, so that lays out the argument. Now, let me give you the backdrop on this. There's a bill in the Congress that has broad bipartisan support because let, let, let's, just, let's just be very clear about this. There's good legislation, and there are good politicians involved in governance. There is. We need more of them. Most of the time, I'm not saying all of the time, most of the time, there are evil men and women who find red meat for the base. It's called red meat for the base. I learned that from a local candidate here in CD5. <laughs> when uh, Royce White was running for Congress and his opponent stood up and said everything Royce White was saying about the Federal Reserve and issues of life and uh, you know the economy was all red meat for the base. Yeah, well, they look for red meat for the base. And here was the red meat. There's a, an app that all of us know called TikTok. TikTok. Now, I have not been there. Look at my age. But I know my kids are there. Do you uh, watch TikTok at all, Tanner? Yeah. You yeah, like it? <clears throat> Um, sometimes, sometimes it makes me upset seeing how uncreative people can be, but other times it's just a good, like, did you know there's a bill time. in Congress sponsored by Mitt Romney to ban TikTok from the United States? Yeah. You didn't know that. Yep. I well, followed that case. Okay. So here's what's going on. There's a bipartisan, that means Democrat and Republicans alike. That'd be called the uni party. They've got TikTok. It's called the TikTok bill or something like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know the exact name. I don't remember. I read the bill. It's really an interesting bill, okay, because a lot of parents are really upset about TikTok, particularly conservative parents, because there's a lot of, shall we say, alternative lifestyles that are prominently featured on TikTok. Is that a reasonable comment, Tanner? I'm sorry, I was... Would you say that on TikTok, 
There's a lot of conservative opposition to TikTok because there's a lot of alternative lifestyles that are prominently featured on the TikTok so shorts. So the way that TikTok works, um, it seems like that, but no. I would say majority of it is a lot more left-leaning politics, but their algorithm works in a way that it's only going to show you what you're interested in. So if... Um, you know, you went on there with the intention of like looking up politics, you're going to end up in an echo chamber of only right wing politics. But there is a lot of if you're looking for. It, oh, yeah. If you go like on the Explore page and you start looking. Yeah, there is a lot of that. See, so that's got the conservative movement all fired up because they don't want their children to have the opportunity to enter into that algorithm and get a continuous feed of images and shorts that really are not Christian values. Is that a reasonable comment? Yeah, I mean, um, just the other day I saw there a lot of people like to have debates within the discussions or like live streams on TikTok. And a huge debate right now ever since the Jason Aldean thing is people talking about how all white people are racist. So like if, if you're scrolling on the live streams for TikTok, you're gonna come across somebody talking about and making points saying that all white people are terrible, all white people are racist, and they just post it. I well, that's because they're being taught that. Yeah. Because that's part of the scam, the con, the long con to get us to give up our freedom. We've been talking about that constantly. We're not going to go back to that. I want to talk about what the uni party's up to. They're using this TikTok thing, which is huge. And TikTok's a Chinese company, which that gives them red meat for the base. They want to ban TikTok. They want the ability to censor this platform. But if you read the bill which unfortunately Professor Penn reads these bills, and I'm urging you to be a professor too, that I can just call it the David Penn podcast when we're all professors. Because what does a professor do? They read something, they learn it, and they profess to know about it. That's why they call them professors, because they have specialized knowledge that's based on what? Study and prayer. Professors, I'm professing to know something about this. This bill gives the president the power to censor anything at any time. In other words, it's the sine qua non of undoing free speech in America, which we're already having a big problem with. So Rand Paul is very appropriately standing up and saying, no, we don't want to do that. We're not giving the government, which has prosecutorial powers and police powers, the strength and the legal right to come to Free People Radio and say, hey, you can't talk about that or else. You know, they don't even have to say or else. Now, let me tell you, I've had them in my office. <laughs> I've had the government in my office, and I know what it feels like when they roll in with their guns. Let me tell you how they do it. When they sit down at your desk or at your conference table, they let, the, they let that holster and that gun, they, let, they make sure that they open up they open up the kimono so you can see they're armed. I asked the guy, why do you do that? He gave me a story. I know why he did it. He's scared. Because sometimes they sit down at people's conference table and some crazy bastard pulls out a hand cannon and blows their head off. So they want you to know, hey, we can shoot back. Okay, fine. But, you know, when those people show up armed like that, you know, it's intimidating. I remember on that day, that day my... Uh, my attorney, Thomas the Good, was with me. I don't smoke cigarettes. Believe me, we went straight to the gas station and we bought a pack of Marlboros and those sons of b disappeared. In 30 minutes, we smoked them down. 
You're going to bleep that one out, aren't you? Thank you very much. But what Rand Paul is saying, we can't, we can't let the government intervene. But here's Mitt Romney, rhino extraordinaire, advocating for this. He's on the Democrat side because the Democrats are all united in this. They want the power to censor because if they can stifle truth media and all that's left is legacy media, which is basically a narrative that they curate, how are the people going to get the information that they're living in the long con? Tanner's just talking about this. I mean, this is a bunch of young people, and they're putting in the live chat that white people are inherently racist. Let me tell you what that is, okay? That's a British crown intellectual manipulation, and here's why they did it. That British empire extracted so much wealth from the world in their empire days with slavery, drugs, and piracy, we have no idea how much money they're sitting on. They're sitting on so much cash that they're still manipulating the world. They've got the United States of America doing their bidding. That's why we're in the Ukraine supporting the Ukrainians. That's not our fight. That's the British fight. They fought the Russians. The British fought them in 1807, 1853, 1918. I mean, these people have been fighting with the Russians for hundreds of years, and now we're in there back in a play. I'm paying for it. Hey, you know what? I don't want to. But here's what they do. Back in the 70s when I was going to university, there was a huge movement to deconstruct the colonial enterprise. And the, the <clears throat> professors of that time were starting to talk about, hey, the crown robbed all this money. Let's go after them for reparations. Let's get this reparations directly from the British royal family, take all their money away and give it to all these people that they manipulated and abused with slavery and piracy. You know, the Crown did something really smart. They put all these professors on the payroll. Obviously, the Crown was racist. You've got to be pretty racist to take slaves, right? You have to view those people as being subhumans. Subhumans. How could you make a slave out of, a, of an equal, someone that you loved? So obviously, they had a very Darwinian view of this thing. And they got the professors on the payroll and instead of all of the anger going at them specifically, they broadened it to all white people so all white people pay the bill for colonialization. Isn't that smart? They socialized the loss. The profits were private, but the loss is socialized. That's what we're living in. That's why I say they can be socialists or communists or capitalists or Nazis or liberals. They don't care as long as they're controlling the dialogue. Had you ever thought about that before? That's why there's all this anti-white stuff, because the crown wants all white people to pay their tab. Yeah. That's I, what it is. I think it's also genius with, like, it being TikTok. It's the same reason that, like, Nike, when they make a T-shirt, they just have their logo right on it, because then when you wear it, you become a walking billboard. So, like, TikTok, it's so easy to grab that now. They, they can just step back and watch it grow. Like everybody, all the younger generations, they carry that uh, that narrative for them. They don't even have to do any work. They just introduce the idea, and now people of my generation are running around with that, honestly arguing that point. Can I ask you a question as long as we're talking? Yeah. Are these podcasts making you think about anything? Oh, I I mean, I thought, yeah, yeah, I think about a lot of stuff. I like this because it feels like a class for me, which is funny because you're Professor Penn. But I like to sit here and read all the, 
you know, the little bullet points you have within the script and everything, because I feel like I'm learning a lot. Um, names and dates, just certain key points I've Things always Things they missed. didn't teach you in school, right? Yeah. Okay, back to the script. Because <laughs> we got it, we got we got a time we got a time clock. We're sixty six minutes in. We're we're heading towards landing here. So Mitt Romney is out there working with the Democrat to get control of media because he's a Democrat. This guy's not a Republican. He doesn't care about the American citizens. We know from his voting record, he's on the wrong side of every issue from my perspective. So what they're doing with this bill, and you can go read the bill, you can find it, they're trying to take complete control of conservative media so that our voices are stifled. And they're using TikTok and the threat of China as a cover story, as a crisis, so that we want the censorship. Remember what that Wiener said when we played that Hudson Institute, that Hudson Institute piece with Herman Kahn? He said, we have to take these crises and deliver the social controls in a way that people want them. And what Rand Paul is saying is, no, 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 up yours. We'd rather have a diversity of opinion than somebody controlling the opinion. Let the people sort it out. He's truly with the American citizens. Now, you might like or dislike Rand Paul. It's not, I'm not trying to make you like Rand Paul. And I'm not saying I like him or dislike him. I'm saying he has some faith in me. And that I appreciate. That I appreciate very much. All right, moving along to something that I think is very important. We're going to play just a couple minutes about vertical farming. And we're going to talk about banishing agriculture land in Minnesota. Just a couple minutes of this vertical farming piece. Guess, Guess what? what? The world's hotter and drier country is trying its hands on innovative methods to grow food in massive quantities. The United Arab Emirates is reported to soon kickstart crop production in one of its biggest vertical farms, which are expected to be amazingly spread across 330,000 square feet, which is even more than three square city blocks. These vertical farms are the most optimal solution any country could choose for sustainable farming. You can now easily spot vertical farms springing up everywhere, from the Netherlands to Pennsylvania to Singapore. However, the king of all is ready to bang on in UAE. This vertical farm is expected to produce 90% more crop yields with the use of 90% fewer resources when compared to the traditional farming technique. What is the distinguishing feature of UAE Vertical Farm Echo 1? How is it different from other gigantic vertical farms spread across the globe? Which plants are expected to be produced in Echo 1? These curious questions have some amazing answers. So with that said, let's buckle up to find some fascinating facts about the biggest vertical farm in UAE, which will blow our minds with its excellent techniques and performance. Where can we spot this biggest tech-driven vertical farm? This amazing, innovative, gigantic tech-driven vertical farm is already open and is located in Dubai near Al-Matun International Airport at Dubai World Central, which will be a 330,000-square-foot facility and will be 175 yards in length. This gigantic indoor farmland will be producing over 2 million pounds of high-quality leafy greens annually. They'll not only be concentrating on innovative food production facilities, but they'll also be keenly addressing some challenges like supply chain management, food security issues, and maintaining quality as a top priority. That's so finally, Echo One. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're selling us high-tech farming. Tech, tech farming. Okay. Got to deconstruct this one for a second. 
because there's two things going on here. In Minnesota right now, high-quality farmland in the agricultural lifestyle is being truncated by this Democrat regime that controls Minnesota because why? Farming's bad for the environment. Really? Farming's bad for the environment. Farming's bad for the environment. Farming's contributing to global warming. You can hear John Kerry talking about it, that some 30, a third of the global warming is caused by agriculture. What these people are up to here is, number one, the most free people on this planet are farmers. Now, I live in the city. I bought 20 acres out in the country. We grow our own vegetables as much as we can. We, of course, we're not self-sustaining. We've got to work towards it. That's part of self-governance. We could all be self-governing in this way. You know, when, when things went bad, it's when people moved off the land to the cities to participate in the Industrial Revolution because life got better. It did. It did. It got better, and it wasn't organized at that time as an effort to make us dumb and under control and then clip us out. That, that, was, that wasn't even a twinkle in anybody's eye. Some things happen naturally. That was a natural development of thinking. Okay, we don't have to continue to go down this road because it's a, it's a dead end at the end of this road. What's happening in Minnesota is our government here in Minnesota, and it's going to intensify next year in the next legislative session, is taking very dramatic action to end the family farm in Minnesota under the guise of uh, it's bad for the climate. And they're forcing land grabs through eminent domain to confiscate farms to set up solar panel farming. They're, instead of growing food, they're harvesting sunlight. And what they're going to replace that production with is these vertical farms, this industrial farming that's inside tech farming. And what they're doing is, is they're concentrating the production of food in the hands of a very few number of people. Henry Kissinger said famously, he who controls the food controls the people. And they're living it out. We've got to stop these people. What they want to do is have control of the food supply and have control of digital currency, and then they can starve us anytime they want to, and they will. Look who's behind that. You know, they're talking about some sultan, some king, a king, probably in the World Economic Forum. I didn't look it up, and I could. This is a man who is now going to supply all these leafy greens. And, you know, when you look at it, they say, oh, we don't use fertilizers and pesticides it's all natural i don't believe them i don't believe them one bit you know god made the world first of all they don't believe that obviously because if they believe that why would they move the plants and the animals out of god's creation into a building that's artificial right there that's the whole battle right there you either believe that god made the world or you feel it was a series of serendipitous, serendipitous events, natural selection through survival of the fittest, and this whole thing just happened. I don't even think they believe it. I think they got a different God. That's another conversation for another day. I mean, really, we think all this complexity just happened by accident? Okay, great. 
For those of you that believe that, okay, you're entitled to believe it. I get my opinion too. But one thing I believe for sure, that when I walk on the dirt barefoot, it's better than when I put on shoes and walk in an environment of a concrete floor. My body, my mind, my soul is created to live in the natural way. There's a whole philosophy in Asia called the natural way. That was about well-being and human freedom. What these people are creating is an anti-natural way and an anti-well-being that they're going to impose upon the whole world and tell us that my culture is a myth and theirs is the truth. They're saying that their way is better than the natural way, and I just reject that. I don't believe it. I think what they're really trying to do is end the diversity of family farming, the broad-based distribution of millions of farmers all farming their own backyard in their neighborhoods and providing food to their friends and neighbors. They don't want that kind of freedom. They want to drive those people off the land in Minnesota. The land is being pirated away through eminent domain so that we can have solar panels Another scam. And these people are being driven into the city where they have to live in an environment where, as President Trump said, they're ruining the auto industry, which means you can't drive anywhere. That means everything you do is 15 minutes from your house. And the U.N. calls this 15-minute cities. We're doing this to protect the earth, to protect the earth. We can't have cars. We can't have farming. We can't have freedom to protect the earth. We love the earth so much, we're going to give up our freedom. That's the scam they're selling us. You know what? We don't have to buy that scam. When you're in a con and you're a mark, you know how a con breaks down? When the marks wake up and say, no, we're not going to be conned. Screw you. Con man. These people are con artists. And that ties into why they're trying to get control of censorship. Because if they can censor everything, if I can't say this to you, if this content, maybe we'll go up on YouTube tonight. No, this is not going to make it. It's possible. It is possible, isn't it? Always possible. Always possible. Because they're watching Professor Penn now. I've got some strikes against me. I managed to get, please call me crazy, taken down for a week. Hey, I'm getting somewhere. This is not an accident. This is a coordinated, well-thought-through Secret society, security state plan to get everybody congregated in cities where they can be controlled. As Herman Kahn said, they can put a city to sleep. They're going to countenance no dissent. They don't want free speech. They don't want freedom of movement. That's why we talk about Target.com, freedom of movement. I believe in freedom of movement. If you don't have freedom of movement, you do not have well-being. You do not have well-being. And that's a great segue into our last piece today. We're actually going to talk about well-being. This is a very, very difficult subject. And, and I'm just going to play a little bit of this because it's very, very ultra painful. Just play, play a little bit of this short, just maybe 15, 20 seconds.
Okay, that's good. This this part of the podcast, this last piece, is about human well-being. This is a very difficult thing for me to talk about. I almost cry about it because I understand this so well. This was a clip of a raw vegan influencer who died of starvation last week. Her name was Jana Samsonova. She was very well known as a raw vegan influencer. She was living in Malaysia where she died last Friday after eating only exotic fruits for a very extended period of time. A vegan is a person who does not eat any food derived from animals, and a raw vegan eats food completely raw or heated at temps below 118 degrees. This woman only ate exotic fruits, and she died of starvation. She was only 39 years old. Now, we talk about a lot of pretty intense things here on the Professor Penn podcast. The first thing I want to say to you is, if you have any well-being issues and you have a doctor and you're on medication, I am not telling you, and I want to make this very clear, you are responsible for your own wellness, you have a health care provider, please be judicious, please understand that my goal is to enhance your well-being Whatever it needs to be, even if it means you're going in for surgery or you're taking drugs, I'm not trying to undermine your strategy. Well-being is a very complex subject, and it's an experiment. See, when you're 22 years old like Tanner, you don't realize, he doesn't realize yet his body is a test tube. We all test out our well-being strategies over the course of a lifetime. And we have a genetic predisposition to certain diseases, and we have environmental factors, and then we have behavioral choices that we make in this stew pot of genetics, environment, behavioral choices, and that unknown, un- very poorly understood world of the spirit all combine to give us an outcome about how long we live and how much it does morbidity impact our lives. And, of course, we understand a lot about genetics. We understand a lot about environmental medicine. We understand a lot about behavioral choices. Like if I'm smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, probably not that great for me. Okay? What we don't understand very well as a culture is that spiritual aspect because these Darwinists have been working on limiting that since the 1880s. Because that spiritual aspect, boy, that's a supernatural power. And it says, it says a lot of things. I'm going to do a whole podcast on that. The whole point of the traditional way is to bring about well-being. That doesn't mean it, that means it's in the natural way in Asia or the Old Testament or the New Testament. These traditions, these ancient traditions, are meant to set people free by giving them well-being. By giving them well-being. And I'm going to say as a person who has experimented with <clears throat> all kinds of different diets, you can go right off the rails. You can go right off the rails. And I'm going to make an admission. I was a vegetarian for many years, and I actually experimented with the, the raw foods diet. I've done a lot of crazy shit in my life. Bleep that one out. It's crazy. You know, I eat a very balanced diet now. Uh, I don't stop myself from eating anything. 
I try to eat more natural foods. I try to stay away from processed foods. I try to stay away from, you know, uh, additives, colorings, chemicals, the kind of stuff they're going to put in these vertical farms. I want to eat products that come from the countryside, from a farmer that's dedicated to natural farming techniques that grows, you know, non herbicide, non-pesticide, as much as possible, free-range meat. You know, there is a real body of knowledge about how this works in the human body. You can go look it up. I've spent years studying this stuff. And I think it's very important that all of us study because if we don't study, we're going to eat a bunch of poison and it's going to kill us. It's called soft kill. And when you add in the spiritual aspect, whoa, that slows down the soft kill a lot. That's called, that is called living with a sense of purpose, living with a sense of meaning. I live with a sense of purpose. So many of our citizens, our fellow citizens, don't have that sense of purpose. You know, I put in the live chat last night, I was doing Please Call Me Crazy, and I just said, boy, you know what? Uh, a sense of purpose. A sense of purpose is associated with the movement to maintain the Republic of the United States of America. I have a sense of purpose. I said the movement cleanses my sins. Whatever I did in the past, and I'm not saying I was a mass murderer or a thief or anything, I'm just saying the normal mistakes a human being makes as they grow older and get more maturity. This kind of dedication, this kind of altruism is very healing for me and very healing for you. That's why I say the movement, politics can be a very well-being pursuit if we but understand how to work it that way, get more good people in the process so that we lift one another up and get rid of these nasty people that are in it just to keep us from the discovering the well-being that's associated with community. Look what these people are doing. They're centralizing the production of food and eliminating the freedom of self-governance through farming. That's why they call it agra culture. It's a culture of self-governance. They're attacking it with everything they have because it's a bastion of human freedom. They don't want us, they don't want my grandchildren to even remember that there was freedom because if they have control of the broadcasting and of the information, they can eliminate it. We talk a lot about artificial intelligence. I think what our, this is my theory, my opinion, I think what our artificial intelligence is really going to do is there's so much information in the world, human beings can't really censor it all. I think they're going to cut artificial intelligence loose in the information ecosystem, and that artificial intelligence is going to eliminate so much of the information that goes back thousands and tens of thousands of years. And our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, if we don't stop these people, are going to be living in a world that they don't even understand where they came from. And if you break a person from their roots, from their history, that's why I enjoy you making the comment that you're seeing so many things in my notes. If people don't know their history, if they don't know where they come from, and they find themselves in a spot, if you don't know your history, how the hell are you going to get out of the circumstance you find yourselves in? You're lost. They want us all lost and alone and afraid so that we ask them, to help us. No, no, no. I reject that utterly and totally.
We need to take our children and teach them well. Give them discipline. Give them structure. Give them their history. Don't allow these people to eliminate our cultural and religious traditions because that binds us to our past. We need that to be fully functioning people who have well-being. And all the things we're talking about today, the censorship, the vertical farming, the destruction of jobs, the destruction of our economy so that people are alone and broke, all of this is intended to make us under the control of a centralized authority that seeks total domination and control of this planet. And they're not nice people. Now, here's the other side of it. We have great art where people develop a great skill, a freedom to perform and to share. We're going to go out with another piece of Bach with two violinists, both of whom I really looked up to when I was young, Yehudi Menuhin and David Oistrakh, phenomenal musicians. I hope we don't get censored. There's not a lot of views of this either because I'm looking around for content that I think I can put up so we don't have problems with YouTube. I don't want problems with YouTube. I want to be part of the YouTube community because it's a great community. There's a lot of people there. So we started out with Bach, and we're ending with Bach. This is the bookends of beauty and art and freedom. And in the center, we talked about control and degradation. So we started with Bach. We're ending with Bach. I want to thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to work with you and to be with you and to form this community with you. I wish you well-being, and I look forward to seeing you soon again.